0: In sports, you are actually in entertainment, and I'd never thought about sports in that way before. And it put everything in a different context for me. And I really thought hard about that. It stuck with me for the rest of the summer. And he he basically said like, you know, yeah, sure, you're riding a bicycle, but like people are coming to see you, or people are getting excited about what you're doing because this is entertaining to watch, and they can't do it themselves. But they this is an aspirational thing what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. And so after that, I started
1: today on the show, I've got Aaron Lutzi. Aaron, thanks for doing this.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So we're gonna talk about your time as a professional mountain bike rider, trials, this stuff, but maybe let's start a little bit. What do you do as an athlete marketing manager
0: at Red Bull for the last dozen years? So, so my role currently right now with Red Bull is is basically scouting, signing, and supporting the, the world's best athletes in all kinds of different disciplines, whether they're mountain bikers just like me or ultra runners, roller derby athletes, gaming, you name it, and uh, get a chance to meet and interact with a lot of the world's best per- performers when it comes to, to sports, which is a pretty cool place to be.
1: No kidding. Well, I alluded to this a little bit before we got started, but... I was really stoked to see on their names like Johnny Jackson and Ben Ferguson and my uh, my misspent youth in snowboarding, which is I got to hang out with the guys you get to hang out with.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and, you know, they're all just great people. I mean, that's the best part about this roster is that everybody that comes on board is just such a good human, too. Like, they're not just a high performer, but they really... You know they're great people to to work with and spend time with and all that. You know one of the things that that I set for myself when I first got the job, however long ago, was I wanted to be able to speak their language a little bit. So I was already an athlete, already had you know some interests already going. But the one thing I decided for myself was I'm going to learn all the sports that I don't know. And it's almost like uh, it was like being in the Matrix where you could just plug in. You could speak to the world's greatest snowboarder, the world's greatest ultra runner, the world's greatest mountain biker, and get like a quick hack of how to get proficient in that sport. So before I started working with John Jackson and Ben, I was actually into skiing and I didn't know how to snowboard, but I challenged myself to become a snowboarder and I could call John Jackson and be like, "What? Do, how do bindings work? How does? How do I do, <laughs> what's this whole edge thing all about? And so I had this opportunity to really learn from the best in so many different sports. And through doing that in my role, it was something that they got excited, like, oh, they're trying, he's trying my stuff. He's not just like the keyboard warrior. Who's just like, send this, do this. I need this from you. It was like, this guy genuinely cares about the sport I'm doing. And, and it helped us build a relationship a bit faster and, and gave some depth to it as well. I really kind of went off the deep end on the ultra running thing. <laughs> my ultra running athlete became my coach essentially and and was there to cheer me on at a bunch of 50 mile races and stuff like that so that was his name's dylan bowman so he's currently one of the best ultra runners in the country if not the world right now and and yeah just an incredible athlete and and really kind of took me under his wing really took the assignment of can you help me learn your sport very seriously and and gave me all the elements i needed to you know be able to run 50 miles in a day (laughs) it's pretty uh pretty daunting task, but I needed to follow through with this, this thing I'd set for myself of how do I learn all of the sports my athletes are doing? And, you know, it kind of compounds over time, you know, you learn nutrition from this athlete over here that you're doing long distance mountain bike stuff that applies to ultra running. So you kind of stacking skills at that point. Interesting. You
1: know, my, my brother and my best friend went to college on track scholarships, and I I went to a lot of track meets. <laughs> I hung out with a lot of runners. And I wasn't running because I was too busy snowboarding and doing competitive judo and stuff. But there are really cute girls at the track meet. I don't know if you're aware of this, but <laughs> as a teenage boy, that was an ideal place to be. So
0: you were, uh, what? You were like the cool snowboard guy
1: too. I bet that, that I wish, went pretty well. I wish.
0: I wish. So so I
1: want to talk about Red Bull as an organization. To me. It is fascinating how incredibly effective they have been at essentially becoming a media company and and taking on Coca-Cola in a way that no other drink company ever had a shot. And it's crazy to me that no one has learned, like, you got to live it as hard as Red Bull. Like, there's so many Me Too organizations that have, have tried to follow in your footsteps, but I just feel like nobody lives it as hard as you guys. What, what's kind of been your observations of a dozen years on the inside?
0: I mean, I think that, I I mean, I can't speak directly from Red Bull's perspective, but from what I've seen, I think we've really listened to the people that matter the most to us. And that would be the athletes, you know, and I'm right there on the, on the front line of that. I, I, we genuinely listen to what they have to say and try to follow through on, on what they're doing. We're a lot of cases also athletes ourselves. And we really genuinely care about the places that we're supporting I think we've just uh, we've just met them there and and we've listened to them and we've followed their example. We've followed where they've told us to go and we've just always had the best intentions when it came to to everything and and I think if you show up that way the rest kind of falls in place, you know. We're not uh, trying to be anything. It's just a matter of, you know, listening and learning and doing our best to do right by the people that believe in us, you know. I think is is probably the the key
1: so on this show, we talk about Red Bull a lot because you guys and Bloomberg are our heroes of like, you want to make your money over here, but rather than like just buy lots of advertising, why not make like genuinely good media so that everybody knows your name and you don't have to do a lot of advertising because everybody knows your name because you did something that was more valuable than banner ads.
0: You know? I mean, I think that's a big thing that you see. And again, going back to my point about listening to the athletes, If you really take a look at athletes nowadays, they are developing their platforms, they are developing their media, like it's not enough just to win anymore. And you don't, and in most cases, you don't have to win anymore, because you can build up a really strong platform and, and, you know, touch a lot more people than just being on top of a podium, right? So if you have a YouTube channel, or you have a strong social media connection, you build a following and a platform that way, that is, in my mind, more impactful when it comes down to, to reaching more people and, and to engaging them and to, yeah, I just feel like you can do a lot more at that level. And so we see the athletes doing stuff like that. And, you know, now it's becoming even more apparent, you know, Jamie O'Brien, the, the surfer on our roster has more followers than the world surf, you know, and, and does Jamie even need to compete anymore? He's already reaching more people than, than the biggest, you know, surf league on the planet. So. I think there's something really special there in terms of the media side of things. And again, like taking a page out of the athlete's book, this is like a huge opportunity for for everyone to to kind of follow in their footsteps. You know, again, like having a front row to all this stuff, there's so much stuff that the athletes are doing right now that you could, you know, dissect what a top athlete is doing and then see the impact of that on a wider scope in another two to three years. Everyone else is figuring out, you know, Oh, recovery is a workout, you know, as an example, that's something that our athletes have been focused on the last however many years, but now everyone else is getting, you know, the Theragun and the Normatec boots and all that kind of stuff to recover faster, right? Or they're thinking about cryotherapy or I don't know, whatever. But I think, I think they're on that, that bleeding edge of, of innovation. And, and when it comes to reaching out to, to a wider platform, I think they've got it pretty figured out, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to back up for a minute. I want to talk about your career. You know, I grew up be a BMX kid in the '80s, right? And I watched Rad like you know three times a week. Okay, so there's so many, so many of us that were on bikes in the '80s and '90s that that dreamed about being a pro. And I migrated more to, to skateboarding, and snowboarding later. But what do you think it was that you did different that the other kids who wished they could become a pro didn't do and didn't end
0: up a pro? <sighs> That's an interesting question because I grew up riding mountain bikes in Wisconsin, which is not mountain bike territory. So I feel like I almost had like a chip on my shoulder of like, I've, I'm already at a disadvantage and I've got to work twice as hard as everyone else. You know, one of the kind of impactful moments for me when I was going through my pro career, when I was really just kind of starting out, I was doing demonstrations on the Vans Warp Tour. So we were traveling around, you know, a different city every single day for nine weeks at a time. And we were sleeping on a bus with a bunch of punk rockers and it was an awesome life experience, no matter what. I'm 19. No. Yeah. 19. <laughs> so um, I just yeah. wish I
1: could go to Vans Warped Tour. At that place.
0: <laughs> it was a great, I mean, a great life experience to be able to go out and do those kind of things. And Yeah. I mean, to see everyone and I got to meet a lot of other bike riders who would come out to the shows and stuff like that. It was a cool way. Of course, all of this is before social media or any of that stuff had really hit. But what was really interesting to me was interacting with people that were essentially in the entertainment industry. And there were skateboarders and BMXers and stuff on the tour with us as well, who were also doing shows. But we also, you know, we'd be sitting down at lunch and you'd be sitting across from the lead singer of AFI or whatever, right? And just talking to all these other people, one of the things that someone said to me that year was, you have to understand that although you're in sports, you are actually in entertainment. And I'd never thought about sports in that way before. And it put everything in a different context for me. And I really thought hard about that. It stuck with me for the rest of the summer. And he, he basically said like, you know, yeah, sure. You're riding a bicycle, but like people are coming to see you or people are getting excited about what you're doing because this is entertaining to watch and they can't do it themselves, but they, this is an aspirational thing, what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. And so after that, I started, you know, doing a lot of video production because I understood, okay, the way for me to reach more people was to, to create videos and put those out there and and develop it that way. And understanding that now I, I don't necessarily think that point has really changed I think it still is kind of entertaining and that's what peop- that captures people and so going back to that point about you know having your platform like so much of it still you know kind of scratches that entertainment itch when it comes down to things as well so that was something that really kind of stuck with me that year and and something that I followed and and used for the remainder of my my pro riding career which has now recently been resurrected <laughs> But yeah, just something that, that really helped me kind of separate myself from the other guys who were riding just as hard as I was or competing at the same competitions, you know, understanding on a whole different level of what I was actually doing. The big picture. Yeah. Well, by the way, tell everybody your YouTube channel so they can go so they can go subscribe. So it's a Lutzi time. So my last name Lutzi in the time and a lot of it is mountain bike related things. So it's the mountain bike trial stuff I do, which is like rock climbing on mountain bikes. But but kind of breaking it down so that you could learn some of the techniques on a mountain bike to make mountain biking a better experience for you as well. So there's some stuff that is just like really high-level trials riding stuff, but a lot of it is kind of brought down to a more manageable level that anybody could learn these tricks and and improve their riding in a pretty substantial way. So that's my goal there is to just take what I do, which looks like magic on a bike, and make it available for everyone to kind of start picking.
1: The amount of balance you have is uh, truly impressive. And we got to give a shout out to, uh,
0: to our friends, Chad and Crystal, who got us together here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Chad Chad has really inspired me quite a bit when it came to, you know, we kind of connected on, on the book front, you know, we're both mega bookworms. And he introduced me to this idea of the, the Harvard shelf, which is there was this Dean or president at Harvard University in the early 1900s, who said all the information that you could learn in college could fit on a four-foot shelf. And Chaton, I think, actually bought all the books that was on the shelf. And what that inspired me was thinking about, like, well, what would be the books that would be on my shelf? Like, not necessarily for a college education, but for a life education. What would I share with someone? And uh, thinking about all the different elements that that we go through today, and, and all the different things we're thinking about when it comes to leadership, finance. Just your, your mental side of things, you know, what kinds of stuff do I pass on to my athletes? You know, we, we get pretty deep in like the Stoic philosophy and a lot of our chats, you know, the obstacles away from Ryan Holiday, or a lot of them have a copy of the daily Stoic uh, that they read every day and stuff like that. So there's a lot of stuff, but it's kind of an interesting thought, like what would be the books that are on your bookshelf that you would want someone to read, to, to share insights with you, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's a few that come to mind right off the bat for me, but I want to know what would be on your list. Yeah, I mean... Yes, how much it's... do I love Obstacle? That's like better <laughs> than Prozac. It's like the best anti-depression pick-me-up. Just like flipping through some of that on my Audible.
0: Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, absolutely. The the Daily Stoke for me, I think I'm on year four of reading it every day. That's been a big one and, and something that like it's easy. It's one page a day. Also by Ryan Holiday, it just kind of distills down a lot of the the learnings from uh, Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and all that stuff. The War of Art has been really helpful for me. That's uh, Stephen Pressfield, so that one is just keeping you motivated, kind of, you know, he talks about the resistance, you know, this idea of all the excuses we make for ourselves to not do what we truly believe we can do. And I try to read that one in January every year just to kind of like give me that boost to start the year strong, especially for the content creation stuff that I've been working on in addition to my full-time job. Having that ability to push back against resistance is a big part of it to to be consistent in terms of cranking out content every week and still like managing the rest of my life when it comes to being a dad when it comes to having a full-time job when it comes to working with these athletes who don't necessarily operate on a nine to five schedule you have to really be kind of there's a book that i just read called the three big questions that everyone asks sooner or later And it's by Dave Phillips. So we actually, my wife and I did the Made For Challenge. It's the guy who started Tom's and another guy basically put together this 10-month program that you can do. And each month has its own theme. And the last month was based off of this book, The Three Big Questions. And, And it basically is just assigning your life's purpose, this like vision that you have for your life, thinking about what would you want at your 80th birthday party? What would you want people to get up and say? What would you want to be able to summarize your life? What are the three words that that people could look back and that's what they would reference? And how do you think about building your life toward that? You know, that's that's made a pretty big impact over the last ten months as well. We're just wrapping up our Made for Challenge at the moment. So cool. Yeah, there's a lot of books on there though, you know, and it, and it changes. I think every year I think about it again. You know, like I would. Probably give someone The Alchemist to read. That's something too about like chasing after your dreams and all that. You know, maybe a finance book. The, the Psychology of Money is a good one. There's so many, you know, things like that. And and going back to the Harvard shelf, I think some of that stuff is now a bit dated. So what would be the updated? What's the 2021 Harvard shelf look like? Yeah, I think for every person, they could make a list of 20 totally different books and and share that out. It'd be interesting to see what books ended up on everybody's shelf. Like, would, would the obstacles away show up on all of our shelves automatically? And what are the most common books that would be there? It'd be interesting to know, just based on our collective circle.
1: Yeah, totally. You know, if you like the Daily Stoic, you like that, the bite size. Have you ever heard of Warren Buffett Speaks by Janet Lowe?
0: No, but I'm going to have to get that one
1: next. <laughs> uh, there's a similar one called the Dow of Warren Buffett by Mary Buffett, but they, they're they so great because they're just such bite-sized pieces. It's like some quote of Warren's and why he said it and what went into his history and, and how that relates to it. And it, But you know, like you can read for like three minutes and you got something out of it if, if you only had three minutes. You know what I mean? That, that's awesome. That's my favorite one for starting people on Warren Buffett stuff because it's so digestible, so easy to start and stop. And
0: that's cool. There was a there was a quote in this uh, psychology of money book that I just read and it was about Warren Buffett specifically. They were talking about compound interest and I think it was something like 82 of his $85 billion came after the age of 65, which <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it makes you feel like
1: maybe you've got a little more time than you thought, huh?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or that compound interest is a thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you know, I want to go back to the statement you talked about, about yes, sports, but, but really being in the business of entertainment, you know? So when you think like, let's just talk a couple of names so far, you know, you brought up Jamie O'Brien. We talked about Johnny Jackson, you know, like the book of John was a great series, you know, like it was, I watched Far too much snowboarding videos in my life, and we used to we used to come home from school in like the 90s and watch TV for like twice every day, you know, and then go on skateboard, right? But it was more of an evolution. Like you got to see the lifestyle, you got to see the travel. Anyways, I, I felt like that had a good mix of like it wasn't it wasn't like so Warren Miller that you're like almost bored with the travel, you know? You're like, come on, I can watch a snowboard video. But I feel like it like it really brought the personality and like made you want to hang out with him.
0: Yeah, I I think that's the goal, right, is is to provide more. I think everybody, to a certain point, is kind of not necessarily worn out on just the shred, action, whatever. But, like, you want to get a little bit more depth. And John's a perfect person for something like that. There's so much more to him than just what he can do on a snowboard and to be able to share that. You know, Travis Rice, same thing. You know, all those guys, Jamie, you know. And I think that's a great reason why a lot of these guys are creating their own content cuz you can see who they really are and what they're talking about, what they're thinking about, what they're trying to accomplish with their their time here, you know, beyond the sport that they do and that depth just means so much more and it gives you something to connect to on a on a, you know, personal emotional level. You know, I think that's really important stuff. You know, thinking
1: about Jamie, it makes me think of this like Harrison Ford movie with Rachel McAdams called
0: Morning Glory it was about like a morning TV show. Did you ever see this one? I haven't. Did you know Harrison Ford was in a snowboard film though? No, which one? I forget which one it is exactly, but he has a son who is really into snowboarding and wanted to be in one. I think it was one of Kurt Morgan's first films. He wanted. I think it was the Bluebird film, the the Wax okay. Company. Yeah, yeah. His son really wanted to be in this film, and they were like, "Yeah, you can be in the film, but your dad's got to like a thing." <laughs> And so I, I want to say he was like, he played the role of like this bus driver or something. It was <laughs> just a little thing, but they, they like leveraged his dad it's to so get it. Awesome.
1: The <laughs> well, they're all in Jackson together, right? Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting. So there's this line. So Harrison Ford pays this like really curmudgeonly guy who used to be like very serious news. And his career is kind of over. And Rachel McAdams, like, basically gets his contract brought over to help this morning show that's dying, right? And Diane Keaton is this, like, kind of flighty woman in the show, and he doesn't think she's serious, and there's a lot of conflict and stuff. But at one part, he's basically whining about how he doesn't have his old job back, and she yells at him. She's like, listen, your side and my side had a war. Information and entertainment had a, had a war, and your side lost. The viewers chose entertainment, you know? And it's interesting because... Look, I'm a huge Dane Reynolds fan. I love, you know, there's a lot of surfers that that I'm fans of, right? But you would be hard pressed to get the exposure for Jamie O'Brien that, I mean, maybe Kelly Slater, but like almost nobody else has his level of exposure, right? And he has embraced the entertainment so hard, right? Like he has pushed the entertainment envelope so much further than most action sports people. And look at, look at the empire it's built for him. And like, You know, I'm so excited for like the first time I'm taking my family on a really cool vacation, right? We're going over to Oahu and my 14 year old got to go over three weeks early and stay with our friends. And he sends me these little pictures this week of being, being on the North shore and being at pipe and stuff. And like, it was funny to me that Jamie O'Brien comes to mind, like of everything that's happened at pipe, Jamie comes to mind and he's like, look what you guys have done with him has,
0: has really made an impact, at least in my circles. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think the interesting thing is that even, you know, you know, Jamie, I can't take any credit for that. I mean, he's done a lot of that stuff on his own as well. and, And he's astute when it comes to putting all that stuff together and putting it out. And there are so many other examples of athletes that have done exactly that without any backing whatsoever. But I think it's also not necessarily something new. Like if you look at skateboarding, for example, Bam Margera and the CKY series, had almost nothing to do with skateboarding. It was just like a entertaining, you know, there were some skate clips in there, but it wasn't really a skate film, right? Then he went on to get MTV to, you know, follow him around and have a reality show. And that was in the early days of reality shows. But like, same thing, you would have been hard pressed other than maybe Tony Hawk at that point, like Bam was the biggest name. And and all the people came in to, to be a part of his, his platform, sponsors came in, all that kind of stuff. Rob Dyrdek, same thing, you know, like, His show wasn't about, you know, when he was on MTV, it was not about skateboarding. It was about Rob Dyrdek. And so none of this stuff is necessarily new. It's just a matter of more people having access to the tools to create it. You know, like when when CKY2K came out with BAM, YouTube didn't exist. So that was the only place to put it was, you know, VHS tape, I think at the time. So, you know, it's something that has been around for a while, but now there are more people who have access to it and there are more people who have access to the tools to create the content. And now we're seeing it on a much wider scale where you don't have to be a hardcore skate fan or a hardcore surfer to be on YouTube and browse past one of those things and be like, what is this? You know, so I think that the exposure, the, the access is all the more easier to get our hands on now.
1: You know, we like to cut these interviews in half and we're almost done for part one. But a question I have for you, it, a reason that I'm such a fan of, of you guys and of Bloomberg is I feel like content marketing is like so overused and so poorly done by most organizations. Like, I mean, just the gobs of companies out there who have like some 21-year-old intern who's their social media manager, and they're only being measured on how many posts did you put out, not how well did it work, Right. And content marketing like has very little financial effect in those organizations, and yet like this very small number of people like you guys, like Bloomberg, have said, no, we're not going to measure ourselves by our competitors. We're going to measure ourselves against the the actual media, like the media that charges advertisers. We're gonna we're gonna bring our game to that level, and you guys have completely dominated. My question for you is why do you think so many folks won't embrace that level of intensity? Why do you think they do like the like fluffy Facebook posts that nobody reads and and they don't embrace like media quality content?
0: I think that we've got a pretty strong roster of authentic voices when it comes down to it who speak to the the core of people who are watching it. And I think that that makes it truthfully. And I think that once you get to that point where you have an authentic voice who is just sharing their truth, that you just have to be not scared to to put that out there and, and leave it unfiltered and let it do its thing. And once you do that once, you can do it again and again and again, and you'll see the success. It's the, the fear of being you know, authentic or putting that truth out there or letting somebody go out unfiltered that I think holds a lot of people back and they haven't let that first one go and, and seen how, how a true post goes. I've seen a lot of posts from athletes specifically, on, even on their own channels where they have a bad race performance or they make a mistake. And, and I've seen athletes who have posted the, this is what it's written for me to write to publish And I've seen athletes that just like bare their soul and like, yeah, I didn't qualify for the Olympics and this is how I feel about it, you know, and you can guess which one did the best, you know, and I think that a lot of people are still, you know, working on this like polished, this is the right keyword and this is the right thing to say and this is the right way to say it versus, hey, this is what, this is what happened. This is how it is. This is, you know, what, what's going on here or, you know, not even in a negative scenario, but just like, here's the truth. Here's the raw, you know, right out of my camera onto this like giant social media platform. And I think that that authenticity is something that isn't always easy to come by, you know, and and like I said, we're currently quite blessed to have, you know, hundreds of athletes who are the most authentic in our world class that can just show us like it is, you know.
1: Well, I think that's really insightful. And I think it goes back to something earlier you said, which is we listened to the athletes a lot, right? You know, I know... <clears throat> I know some folks in the, in the pro world. Right. And not, not like the number of people, you know, but there is like, you talk about the keyboard warrior, right? Like there is like a resentment for those people back at corporate that are, I don't know, using them like a tool instead of working with them like a human. And, and it's no surprise that those athletes aren't going the extra mile in those situations. And like, I think about my example here of like the people who claim they're doing content marketing, but it's like this afterthought. It's like this afterthought, like they run the whole business and it's like this afterthought that they bolt on at the end and they don't really care about it. Versus as you say that, like it's, it's evident that you guys really embrace it in the bones. Like this is who we are. This is not like an afterthought on the business. This is the business. At least that's the way it comes across.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I feel like I struggle with that even, you know, it's not something that comes easy to anybody, right? Like with the, with my social media stuff, when I'm posting a video on YouTube, I'm making, you know, partially what I think people want to learn, what they want to see. And then that cut down that I make for social media to get people to go check it out. Do I want to show them, you know, like, you know, here, here's what was actually like filming this thing. Here's, here's like, I, I broke my chain, you know, versus like, oh, here's just like the cut and polished version of, of what you're going to see. What would people engage with more? Like, wouldn't they rather connect with me and, and the struggle over? Yeah, here's here's just a, a perfect, you know, I did this thing according to my template. Here, here you go. Here's a little taste versus like, let me show you the behind the scenes. Let me show you the real it, stuff, you know?
1: It is interesting when you watch the Danny McCaskill videos and you get to see him falling off. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, that's how he got this good falling off. It's like this reminder, like you, you know, that in your heart it has any kind of action sports background, you know, that's what happened, but there's something about seeing it. And that he's laughing at himself. Oh, yeah. That makes him like super magnetic.
0: <laughs> that's the real stuff. That's what really happened, you know, and uh, yeah, it's you get this package, and then you see the, the real and you get to identify this with the struggle, because I feel like we're all we're all struggling with something here or there. And and to share that with somebody is almost better than just seeing someone succeed a hundred percent of the time. Like that almost becomes no fun at that point, you know? Yeah. Okay. Listen,
1: we're going to cut this off for part one. Everybody tune back into part two. I got a whole bunch more questions for Aaron. Thanks.